Book Three, Chapter Nineteen of Letters of Travel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. Egypt of the Magicians, nineteen thirteen onwards. A return to the East. From Letters of Travel by Rudyard Kipling. The East is a much larger slice of the world than Europeans care to admit. Some say it begins at St. Gotthard, where the smells of two continents meet and fight all through that terrible restaurant car dinner in the tunnel. Others have found it at Venice on warm April mornings. But the East is wherever one sees the Latin sail, that shark's fin of a rig, which for hundreds of years has dogged all white bathers round the Mediterranean. There is still a suggestion of menace, a hint of piracy in the blood wherever the Latine goes by, fishing or fruiting or coasting. This is not my ancestral trade, she whispers to the accomplished sea. If everybody had their rights, I should be doing something quite different for my father he was the junk and my mother she was the dow and between the two of them they made asia then she tacks disorderly but deadly quick and shuffles past the unimaginative steam packet with her hat over one eye and the knife as it were up her baggy sleeves even the stone boats at port said busied on jetty extensions show their untamed descent beneath their loaded clumsiness they are all children of the camel-nosed dow who is the mother of mischief but it was very good to meet them again in raw sunshine unchanged in any rope and patch old port side had disappeared beneath the acres of new buildings where one could walk at leisure without being turned back by soldiers two or three landmarks remained two or three were reported as still in existence and one face showed itself after many years ravaged but respectable rigidly respectable yes said the face i have been here all the time but i have made money and when i die i am going home to be buried why do you not go home before you are buried o face because i've lived here so long home is only good to be buried in what do you do nowadays? Nothing now. I live on my rentes, my income. Think of it. To live icily in perpetual cinematograph show of excited uneasy travellers, to watch huge steamers sliding in and out all day and all night like railway trucks, unknowing and unsought by a single soul aboard, to talk five or six tongues indifferently, but to have no country, no interest in any earth, except one reservation in a continental cemetery it was a cold evening after heavy rain and the half-flooded streets reeked but we undefeated tourists ran about in droves and saw all that could be seen before train time we missed most of us the canal company's garden which happens to mark a certain dreadful and exact division between east and west up to that point it is a fringe of palms stiff against the sky 
the impetus of home memories and the echo of home interests carry the young man along very comfortably on his first journey but at Suez one must face things people generally the most sympathetic leave the boat there the older men who are going on have discovered each other and begun to talk shop no newspapers come aboard only clipped Reuter telegrams the world seems cruelly large and self-absorbed one goes for a walk and finds this little bit of kempt ground with comfortable garden-gated houses on either side of the path then one begins to wonder in the twilight for choice when one will see those palms again from the other side then the black hour of homesickness vain regrets foolish promises and weak despair shuts down with the smell of strange earth and the cadence of strange tongues crossroads and halting places in the desert are always favoured by jinns and afrits the young man will find them waiting for him in the canal company's garden at port said on the other hand if he's fortunate enough to have won the east by inheritance as there are families who served her for five or six generations he will meet no gowls in that garden but a free and friendly and an ample welcome from good spirits of the east that awaits him the voices of the gardeners and the watchmen will be as the greetings of his father's servants in his father's house the evening smells and the sight of the hibiscus and poinsettia will unlock his tongue in words and sentences that he thought he had clean forgotten and he will go back to the ship i have seen as a prince entering on his kingdom there was a man in our company a young englishman who had just been granted his heart's desire in the shape of some raw district south of everything southerly in the sudan where on two-thirds of a member of parliament's wage under conditions of life that would horrify a self-respecting operative he will see perhaps some dozen white men in a year and will certainly pick up two sorts of fever he had been moved to work very hard for this billet by the representations of a friend in the same service who said that it was a rather decent sort of service and that he was all of a heat to reach khartoum report for duty and fall to if he is lucky he may get a district where the people are so virtuous that they do not know how to wear any clothes at all and so ignorant that they have never yet come across strong drink the train that took us to cairo was own sister in looks and fittings to any south african train for which i loved her but she was a trial to some citizens of the united states who being used to the pullman did not understand the side corridored solid compartment idea the trouble with a standardized democracy seems to be that once they break loose from their standards they have no props people are not left behind and luggage is rarely mislaid on the railroads of the older world there is an ordained ritual for the handling of all things to which if a man will only conform and keep quiet he and his will be attended to with the rest the people that i watched would not believe this they charged about futilely and wasted themselves in trying to get ahead of their neighbours here is a fragment from the restaurant car look at here me and some friends of mine are going to dine at this table we don't want to be separated and you have your number for the service sir number what number we want to dine here i tell you you shall get your number sir for the first service how's that 
where in thunder do we get the numbers anyway i will give you the number sir at the time four places at the first service yes but we want to dine together here right now the service is not yet ready sir and so on and so on with marchings and countermarchings and every word nervously italicized in the end they dined precisely where there was room for them in that new world which they had strayed into on one side our windows looked out on darkness of the waste on the other at the black canal all spaced with monstrous headlights of the night-running steamers then came towns lighted with electricity governed by mixed commissions and dealing in cotton such a town for instance as zagazig last seen by a very small boy who was lifted out of a railway carriage and set down beneath a whitewashed wall under naked stars in an in illimitable emptiness because they told him the train was on fire childlike this did not worry him what stuck in his sleepy mind was the absurd name of the place and his father's prophecy that when he grew up he would come that way in a big steamer so all his life the word zagazig carried memories of a brick shed the flicker of an oil lamp's floating wick a sky full of eyes and an engine coughing in the desert at the world's end which memories returned in a restaurant car jolting through what seemed to be miles of brilliantly lighted streets and factories no one at the table had even turned his head for the battlefields of Kassassin and Tel el Kabir. After all, why should they? That work is done, and children are getting ready to be born who will say, I can remember Gondokoro, or El Obeid, or some undreamed of Clapham Junction, Abyssinia way. Before a single factory was started, before the overhead traffic began. Yes, when there was a fever, actually fever, in the city itself. The gap is no greater than that between today's and t'other day's Zagazig, between the horsed vans of the overland route in Lieutenant Waghorn's time and the shining motor that flashed us to our Cairo hotel through what looked like the suburbs of Marseille or Rome. Always keep a new city till morning. In the daytime, as it is written in the perspicuous book, thou hast long occupation our window gave on to the river but before one moved toward it one heard the thrilling squeal of the kites those same thievish companions of the road who at that hour were watching every englishman's breakfast in every compound and camp from cairo to calcutta voices rose from below unintelligible words in maddeningly familiar accents a black boy in one blue garment climbed using his toes as fingers the tipped mainyard of a nile boat and framed himself in the window then because he felt happy he sang all among the wheeling kites and beneath our balcony rolled the very nile himself golden in sunshine wrinkled under strong breezes with a crowd of creaking cargo boats waiting for a bridge to be opened on the cutstone quay above, a line of cab drivers, a tikagari stand, nothing less, lolled and chafed and tinkered with their harnesses in every beautiful attitude of the ungirt east. All the ground about was spotted with chewed sugar cane, first sign of the hot weather, all the world over. Troops 
with startlingly pink faces one would not have noticed this yesterday rolled over the girder bridge between churning motors and bubbling camels and the whole long-coated loose-sleeved muslim world was awake and about its business as befits sensible people who pray at dawn i made haste to cross the bridge and hear the palms in the wind on the far side they sang as nobly as though they had been true coconuts and the thrust of the north wind behind them was almost as open-handed as the thrust of the trades then came a funeral the sheeted corpse on a shallow cot the brisk-paced bearers if he was good the sooner he is buried the sooner in heaven if bad bury him swiftly for the sake of the household either way as the prophet says do not let the mourners go too long weeping and hungry the women behind tossing their arms and lamenting and men and boys chanting low and high they might have come forth from taksali gate in the city of lahore on just such a cold weather morning as this on their way to the mohammedan burial grounds by the river and the veiled countrywomen shuffling side by side elbow pressed to hip and eloquent right hand pivoting round palm uppermost to give value to each shrill phrase might have been the wives of so many punjabi cultivators but that they wore another type of bangle and slipper a knotty kneed youth sitting high on a donkey both amuleted against the evil eye chewed three purplish feet of sugar-cane which made one envious as well as voluptuously homesick though the sugar-cane of egypt is not to be compared with that of bombay hans brightman writes somewhere oh if you live in Leyden town you'll meet if truth be told der forms of all der freunds dot tied when du wirst six years old and they were all there under the chanting palms sices orderlies peddlers water carriers street cleaners chicken sellers and slate-coloured buffalo with china blue eyes being talked to by a little girl with a big stick behind the hedges of well-kept gardens squatted the brown gardener making trenches indifferently with a hoe or a toe and under the municipal lamp-post lounged the bronze policeman a touch of arab about the mouth and lean nostril quite unconcerned with a ferocious row between two donkey-men they were fighting across the body of a nubian who had chosen to sleep in that place presently one of them stepped back on the sleeper's stomach the nubian grunted elbowed himself up rolled his eyes and pronounced a few utterly dispassionate words the warriors stopped settled their headgear and went away as quickly as the nubian went to sleep again this was life the real unpolluted stuff worth a desertful of mummies and right through the middle of it hooting and kicking up the nile passed a cook's steamer all ready to take tourists to aswan from the nubian's point of view she and not himself was the wonder as great as the swiss controlled swiss staffed hotel behind her whose lift maybe the nubian helped to run marids and afrits guardians of hidden gold who choke or crush the rash seeker encounters with the long-buried dead in a cairo back alley undreamed of promotions and suddenly lit loves are the stuff of any respectable person's daily life but the white man from across the water 
arriving in hundreds with his unveiled womenfolk, who builds himself flying rooms and talks along wires, who flees up and down the river, mad to sit upon camels and asses, constrained to throw down silver from both hands, at once a child and a warlock. This thing must come to the Nubian sheer out of the thousand and one nights. At any rate, the Nubian was perfectly sane. Having eaten, he slept in God's own sunlight. And I left him, to visit the fortunate and guarded and desirable city of Cairo, to whose people, male and female, Allah has given subtlety in abundance. Their jesters are known to have surpassed in refinement the jesters of Damascus, as did their twelve police captains in the hardiest and most corrupt Baghdad in the tolerant days of Harun al-Rashid, while their old women, not to mention their young wives, could deceive the father of lies himself. Delhi is a great place. Most bizarre storytellers in India make their villain hail from there. But when the agony and intrigue are piled highest, and the tale halts till the very last breathless sprinkle of cowries has ceased to fall on his mat, why then, with wagging head and hooked forefinger, the storyteller goes on. But there was a man from Cairo, an Egyptian of the Egyptians, who, and all the crowd knows that a bit of real metropolitan devilry is coming. End of chapter 19. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org.